Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew. Joining me once again is Pastor Neil Radical. For the last few weeks and months, we have been working our way through the Psalms in chronological order. Today, we're taking a look at the 16th in the series of 150. Psalm 7 is the one that we're looking at this morning. And Pastor Radical and I are going to do something a little different this morning. We are simply going to, we have not looked at this prior to <clears throat> prior to this uh, conversation. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to actually record our discussion, our study of the psalm. So you kind of get a little bit of an idea of what we do every week when we get together and we, we study God's word together. So you're kind of, you get a glimpse kind of like in the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain uh, to know, to know how we do this and, uh, and how our discussion goes. We pray that this will be a, a beneficial thing for you too, to see how we study God's word together. Neil, well, we normally glad to have you here. Yes. Glad to be here too. I, I know it's a little bit different, but again, for those who listen in and who spend some time doing that, uh, it's it might be refreshing too because maybe our study, our techniques aren't that different from how you study, right. and the tools that the Lord provides us are really tools that can be accessible for you as well. So, uh, what Nathaniel and I normally do is start with a prayer. So, do should we just do that, Nathaniel? Sure. Okay, let's just do what we normally do. We'll pretend like no one's listening. There might not be very many anyway. <laughs> let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to reflect and study your word again today. Nathaniel and I so much enjoy your Psalms. And like a fine, refined wine, you continue to teach us how blessed we are in receiving your word, receiving the, the nourishing blessings of your grace and comfort and the emotional support that we receive in, in following David and his life. We can see so many of our own own shortcomings, our own worries, our own frustrations, and our own sin as well. And so, we Lord, we pray that you refresh us and, and bless our study today so that we would be edified and built up by the promise of your mercy and forgiveness. Dear Lord, we also realize that you have given us these historical examples in the Old and the New Testament in order for us to learn and be instructed by them. Not only do you reveal doctrinal truths to us so that we might know your word, your instruction to receive your comfort and your encouragement, but you also give us examples in the lives of real people who have gone before us that we might also learn from the examples, the struggles, the trials, as well as the being built up and encouraged in your word, just as we do. And so as we study Psalm 7 today, we ask that you would continue to instruct us in your word, that you would encourage and comfort us through the example of David, and that we would learn from that example and learn also to uh, carry those examples out in our own lives, that we might glorify you in all that we say and in all that we do. We ask that you would bless our study here today in your name. Amen. Amen. I have, uh, just as far as you know, our setup goes, I have my Bible in front of me. I like to take notes. Nathaniel's got so much history knowledge. I like to try to jot those things down in my, in my Bible. I got my, uh, you know, I'm standing here at my desk. So I've got the, our document that we're using 
We're going to try to have a devotion book series eventually on this, but I also got the powerful Bible works up here, which helps us look up words very quickly. Obviously, we have books for that too, but it allows us to look up things a lot more quickly. So that's kind of how I'm set up. I don't know, we've talked about that for a while. You don't really have much different of a setup, do you? No, very, very similar. So I have the document that we're working on online up in front of me. I have some Bible software up in front of me also for, you know, checking uh, cross-references, historical references, commentaries, um, different, different translations. Vocab. You have vocabulary yeah. for the Greek and the Hebrew, depending on what we're working on. And then I also have my study Bible in front of me, my New American Standard Bible, where I take my own notes there as well. So those are some of the same things that I have in front of me. Generally, Neil and I use the New King James Version just for our, our study itself. Uh, but then each I, one of us, we have our own uh, translations that we use to and like to go to in order to compare translations along the way. And reason for that, probably most familiar with it. I mean, we grew up with that, right? So, well, I grew up I... with King James, but ever since I was, right, you're older than me. Yeah, I, I am older <laughs> than you. Uh, I grew up with King James, but ever since I was at ILC, that's about you know when we started as a church body using the New King James version. So throughout my ministry, I've always been in a congregation that has used New King James version. So yeah. I just I've kind of gravitated to that because that's what the congregations use. Well, familiarity is helpful too, so that's good. Correct. Yep. Yep. Well, you're so, kind of int you're introducing it today, which means you're writing the devotion, correct? That's correct. Yep. So the way that we do is we kind of take turns on this. We we uh, as we do the study, one of us kind of uh, guides the study through as we're doing the podcast, and then that person also is the one who takes a portion maybe of the psalm or the theme of the psalm, and then uses that to write a a, a short devotion on it. So that'll be me this week with Psalm seven. Well, we had 17 verses here. I divided it half kind of at verse five because you got that word Selah there. So do you want to take, do you want to read the first half or I'll read the first half. You want to read the second half? Yeah, let's, let's, I, I might divide the second half up into two sections, but let's take okay. the first five verses. We have an introduction in verse one, which is the historical introduction. And then verses, the second half of verse one through verse five is part one. So yeah, take the first five verses. Okay. A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Well, this kind of takes us back to where we've been the last few weeks with David. <laughs> yes. uh, again, kind of keep in mind that David is on the run from Saul throughout this period of his life. And we've seen a lot of Psalms that David has written during this time yeah very similar verbiage so many remember different psalms different maybe different tunes tunes obviously we had different ones that are even listed there to the, the tune of the dough or you know those different things that they had but yeah lots of different similar concepts but different psalms right a couple of things that stood out to me neil right away when you were reading through those first three verses in verse one we have the what we call sometimes the nomen tetragrammaton, the personal name for God in the New King James Version that shows up in as Lord in all capital letters. So the other term that's used there is Elohim, my God, 
usually it's translated. And Elohim, God, usually has to do with the power of God. But whenever you see Lord in all capital letters in the Old Testament, I like to think of not only the the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I like to think of the covenant. Because a lot of times when you get to the word uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, that is referring to the fact that this is the God of promise. And so what is David doing in this meditation, in this prayer? He is crying out to Yahweh, to the triune God. He's using the personal name of God and saying, this is not Baal. This is not Molech. This is not Asherah. This is not the God of the Egyptians. This is Yahweh, the triune God. So beautiful reminder of who it is that David is calling out to as he begins this prayer and then throughout the prayer as well. I often use that illustration anytime you see the word God and we see the word Lord here used at least six times. And I always remind like catechism students when they respond with God, you know, you probably remember hearing, well, which one? God is like saying dad. It's not specific to a name. It just describes, you know, our creator, our maker, the one who bore us in that sense. And ultimately when we have the word God here, next to Lord, then like you were saying, it's a very specific, it's very specific of which God we're talking about. And you, and that's a comforting thing for us because this is the God we can pray to and refer back to. And this is the one that the same God we pray to is the same God that David's praying to. Right. One of the things that's neat too, when you think about God and Lord put together, look at what his prayer is in verse one. Oh Lord, my God in you, I put my trust. There's, here's the idea of promise covenant. God has made promises to David that has to do with Yahweh. But then you have save me from all those who persecute me, which deals more with the power of God, uh, Elohim. So both of these two uh, concepts of God are brought out, I think. And one of the reasons why we don't want to just emphasize the power of God. We also want to emphasize the promises, the covenant that God has made as we call upon him. Um, It's it's interesting. It starts right away with the, the prayer request, you know, sometimes we use that acts model, adoration, confess, thanksgiving, supplication, right? He's starting right away with that supplication. You know, it's like, it's, it's reminding us of the urgency of the prayer, right? What is David wrestling with? He's, he's going through this right now, or in the very least, he's reflecting on what he was going through in that context. And I know we got to read the rest of it, but do you want to interrupt it and read the context now from first Samuel? Well, um, we, we could, I think further. it's familiar enough that uh, we probably wouldn't have to. We could probably summarize it rather than read it. So most okay. people are going to be familiar with the account. David is being hunted by Saul. He and his men, Saul is getting close to him and his men. And so David and his little band hide in a cave. And it just happens that Saul and his men camp not too far from the cave. Saul needs to use the bathroom. He goes into the cave in order to relieve himself. David is right there. One of his men says, hey, this is your chance. Get rid of this guy and you'll never have to run from him again. David says, I can't do that. Similar to what we had talked about a couple of weeks ago. But instead, what he does is he cuts off just the corner of of Saul's garment. And Saul goes out and David brings that out. And he says, you know, I had the chance to kill you, but I didn't. And in essence, you know, we have this idea of at least contrition, whether it's true repentance or not. You and I talked about that before, too. We don't know. But Saul at least is contrite in realizing that what he was doing with David was was wrong. And you see a little bit of that in 
in these verses as David is on the run, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces where there is none to deliver. To deliver. How often David felt that agony, that burden where everybody was against him. We've talked about a couple of those events during the life of David. Um, so, they didn't want to sit the, down and have tea. They were no. going to go have coffee. He knew no. what they wanted. When even, yeah. even after, after Saul demonstrates his contrition, I still don't think David trusted him after this happened right. over and over and over again. Uh, you know, Dave, Saul was just in a very a dark place. Yeah. Very, very dark place. And he continued to relapse. We might, we might say. Yeah. I think there's also something else in verse three that's interesting, Neil, when you were reading through that, this is different than some of the Psalms that we've seen before. We've, we've seen him plead for vindication was a word that we've talked about before, but notice he says, if I have done anything wrong, I deserve the judgment that I'm going to get. If there is any iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid to him, notice the individual nature of this prayer. It's probably referring specifically to uh, either Cush, because um, he's referenced in the introduction or you know, related to Saul. If I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or if I plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemy have his justice. Let him pursue me and overtake me let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust but you notice that this is one of those uh, conditional sentences we say if but this would be if but it's not true it's not an if i hope it is true this is an if i know it's not true but it's in order to make that make that point that david does not deserve to be receiving what he's receiving well i think that's neat too because he's pleading before the lord not from mankind he doesn't need to talk to his fellow soldiers about this this is between him, Saul, and the Lord, really. And ultimately, if if he is asking the Lord to say, Lord, you judge me. Ultimately, that's what I see him doing. You judge me. You know my heart. If this is true, if I've done this, if I've shown a lack of integrity in me, then I want you to punish me for that. I want you to discipline me. Let them do this. You know, that's a power. You focused in on if that let the enemy, let him trample me is basically saying, your will be done, Lord. I will receive your judgment. I will take what I deserve if this is true. So yes, there's a, I agree with you. There's an element of David saying, I'm innocent of this. But even if there's a, if there's a part of me that's not innocent, then I keep thinking, why wouldn't David just own up to that? And his point is that if there is a part of me that's has this attitude, Lord, then you need to show me by disciplining and chastising me and and showing me where i've done wrong and what a what a wonderful mindset that is to to be willing to be shown hey if i am wrong show me where i have been wrong and a willingness to have the, the lord chastise us that that's that is a mark of of a christian or should be the work of the spirit working in the christian is to be willing to be chastised that's a good cross-reference. I think you and Pastor Nauman recently preached on that with Zacchaeus, kind of the same idea. Right. Uh, if I have done this, but his is different. His is a different if. He's confessing, I have done this. Right. I'm going look, I'm going to repay those. I've cheated. So it's a different form of conditional sentence there. It's expecting the fact that it's not just if I have, it's be because I have. I have if I've right. done it this way, then I'm gonna actually 
repay that. It's a little bit different attitude there, but I think that's an important cross-reference I'll drop in there. Yeah. So the next section, I think I'd like to take six to nine, because in verses six to nine, we have the Lord's cry for justice. I mean, David's cry to the Lord for justice. So we've started on that with verses three, four, and five with this, if let them, but now in verses six to nine, we're going to see a little bit of a focus. So uh, while you're typing those notes in, I'll read verses six through nine. Uh, David says, arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. That's a a very, very interesting section there, kind of going it back is. and forth between the judgment of the wicked and the, we might, again, use, he doesn't use it in this context, but the vindication that we've talked about before of the righteous. Uh, think about Matthew 24 and the separation of the sheep and the goats, believers and unbelievers. And from, from a human standpoint, it's hard to tell the difference between those. We can't look into the heart, but God knows what's inside the heart. And he says, God, you know what's in the heart, so you separate and give what is deserved in each one of those categories, whether it be the wicked or the, the evil or the righteous or the just. Yeah, I also think it's interesting where he's talking about, you, he's got those verbiages of the Lord, arise, lift, rise up, judge. You know, ultimately, he's calling God to action. And again, maybe, maybe your mind goes to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Isn't that 2 Kings 17, potentially? I don't know if I remember the reference correctly, but um ultimately he's asking the lord to take action whereas other gods don't or can't because they're not real and so you see the lord david saying be that god that takes action for me be that lord that i know you can be arise and deliver me judge me according to your word and ultimately i i, I guess i keep coming back to the idea of look at all the times the old testament outside of david's life where he knew that the lord could or would do that, not just in his own life. You think of maybe David and Goliath, that's first Samuel 17, where the Lord did arise. And he even said, this is what the Lord's going to do for me. He's going to deliver me from Goliath. But ultimately we see that in other accounts too, where the Lord took action, where it'd be Elijah on Mount Carmel, where it'd be Elisha being surrounded by the armies, you know, and the Lord, he said, okay, Lord, you have to take action here now. And so you see all these accounts in the old Testament, and there's many more where the Lord is a God of action. Even the Exodus with Moses and children of Israel, the Lord's laying bare his arm to show he's a faithful God who's there to help them in the time of need. I also thought that the last part of verse nine was interesting. It, it, it describes again, we talked about Elohim, uh, Yahweh, the Lord God. Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end describing again the power of God, Elohim, but establish the just for the righteous, God tests the hearts and minds. 
this gives us this idea that God, he doesn't just see, talking about another Samuel passage, uh, Samuel, the Lord told Samuel, the Lord does not see as man sees, mm-hmm. right? Man looks at the outside, but the Lord knows the heart. And this, this brings that idea back, this idea of for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. He knows what's on the inside. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what our feelings are. And we're asking that God would establish the just, judge the wicked, let it come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. And boy, that idea of test, boy, that's another biblical concept altogether, isn't it? The idea of testing. And, you know, you think about all of the biblical illustrations that we have for testing um, metals to make sure that they are strong. You know, if we didn't have if we didn't have uh, government agencies to test, you know, food, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, or uh, transportation, you know, all of these different areas, they test these things to make sure that they are safe. Uh, well, in this case, we're asking that God would test the hearts and the minds of all people, knowing knowing what they are, you know, knowing deep down what's on the inside. Well, and ultimately, we know the Lord puts us to the test out of a loving way. We use that example of this teacher tests their students because they want them to succeed. You know, James one talks about, we don't want to, God does not tempt anyone. So he does not want to see us fail. He wants us to trust in him. So all the things that David's going through, all the things that you and me go through, like we prayed about before, all those things we go through, the Lord's testing our faith, to see whether we're faithful in our trust of him he's gonna be faithful to us he can't deny himself but he's gonna test our faith to, to remind us who's in charge and where we can put our trust just like david started out by saying so i looked up that hebrew word for the word test while you were talking about like you said you know you have we have the example of testing in in school or or whatever but it's bachan and it literally means to examine to scrutinize to prove, and it's used of gold. So we want to make sure that the gold is legitimate. It's used of persons. It's used of the heart. Uh, it's used of man, you know, God knowing what's on the inside to be tried, uh, tested, proved to be uh, examined from that way. So that's kind of an, an interesting word that's used quite a few times in the Old Testament. I think I captured it there for us. I like that uh, verse eight and nine shows that we talked about this briefly, but that it's got that contrast between David saying, Oh Lord, judge me according to my righteousness. And then like you just mentioned in verse nine, the, for the righteousness of God, test the hearts and mind. So God's righteousness isn't called in the question, but David's saying, if my righteousness, if my faith, if my, if my actions are to be called into question, then judge me, Lord. And so I, I love that because you can see David is guilty of sin. We see that throughout the Old Testament times. He's not a righteous man, but his righteousness comes from God. It's, it's from his Messiah. It's from his Savior. It's from who we know to be Jesus Christ. He was looking forward to him at that point in time. So ultimately, when we see this comparison between David's righteousness and the Lord's righteousness, there's no comparison except for the fact that God gifts his righteousness to us, and he tests that righteousness and faith that he's gifted to us that we trust in it so that he can continue to build us up and encourage us through that period of testing 
was that say no testing is enjoyable at the at the time did you mention that one earlier that i missed no but that's a, that is a good one yeah uh first corinthians i think is uh where that comes out and but you're right but it, it, it has a result doesn't it god uses it to bring about a good result a, a beneficial result for us as christians well the next section, I think we ought to take 10 through 16 next. And this is going to highlight some of the, the negatives. You were just talking about the positives, but there's also the negative of the testing. And that's the judgment. And, and there is, we talked about repentance earlier with Saul or what seemed like, you know, outwardly repentance. God desires to bring about true repentance, not just contrition. Contrition is good, but not just contrition, but also repentance. And so in verses 10 through 16, we're going to see a, uh, these two, two things that are related to repentance. God wants to work it out. He wants to bring about repentance through his spirit. If one is led to repentance, that's good. If one is not led to repentance, that's not so good. You want to take 10 to 16? Sure. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also repays for himself instruments of death. He also prepares this. <laughs> he also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. So I think as we go through this section, this is more of a, this isn't the, the prayer in the sense, this is more of the adoration in a sense. So the nice part about that ACTS acronym for prayer life, adore, confess, thank, supply, is you don't necessarily have to do those in order. It's nice to try to catch them all when we are praying to the Lord, but uh, not necessarily, but here I would say this is more of the adoration, the kind of God that we have, what he does, who he is, what kind of God he is, but also a God who is just and does punish as well. I think that definitely comes out in verse 11 and 12, that he's a just judge and he's angry with wickedness. You know, we think of our earthly parent, you know, they're a good parent if they actually say what's right and wrong, if they get upset when their child sins and does something that would bring dishonor on the name of the family and so ultimately you can see the same thing true of the believer in god the lord he wants his name to be kept holy and so anything that we do that dishonors that name the lord will remind us that yes he can punish he should discipline us as a perfect father yeah, I mean, the only positive part of this, you're right, you know, the idea of adoration, why do we adore him is because of, of who he is. We had the, the righteousness, uh, the righteous God in verse 9, and then in verse 11, we have God as a just judge. You can see the parallel between those two things. But verse 10 is my defense, going back all the way to verses 3, 4, and 5, if I have done anything wrong, let me get what I deserve. But my defense is of God. Why does he put his confidence or his defense in God? Because he knows that God is just, that he is righteous. He tests the hearts and the minds. So David is pleading to God. He's saying, God, test me and see. See if there's anything bad in me, any false uh, reputation, any, any bad intent even against these individuals. Test me and, and then test these others. 
So he saves the upright in heart. And then in verse 11, he goes on to the negative. God is angry with the wicked every day. Uh, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend his bow. Talk about imagery, right? Sharpen his sword, bend his bow. Why do you, you do that? About, you think of this sword being sharpened on the millstone, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that eerie sound, almost like a fingers on a chalkboard, right? Where it's kind of like, oh, what's about to happen here? Well, in, in verse 13 says he prepares. So he prepares himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Well, I think that's, it's right in the middle of sharpen his sword, bend his bow. You don't sharpen your sword unless you're planning to use it in battle. Right. You don't bend the bow unless you're planning to release the Fire. arrow. Right. right. So this has the idea, you know, when, when you took a gun safety training or something like that, they tell you, you don't point a gun unless you're planning to fire it, you know? That, that's just, you have to be very, very careful. And that's the imagery that David is using here. An individual who was well acquainted with weaponry, right? As, as one who was on the battlefield a lot. So David right. is using imagery that he's very familiar with. Right. Have you taken your concealed carry class? That's such a personal question. <laughs> I, I have not. I need to, to do that. that. That's fine. You don't have to do that. <laughs> Hunter safety? Hunter safety? <laughs> so God is a just judge and he's preparing he is going to carry out the judgment that we as sinful human beings deserve uh he and then he talks about the wicked there in verses uh verse 14 you want to carry us into that yeah behold the wicked brings forth iniquity it's interesting again because david uses that word earlier on iniquity and integrity of himself you know in that sense he yes he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood but this idea of made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. A lot of times it's interesting when you look at like the New Testament, for example, we talk about Christ being the, the cornerstone, which the builders have rejected. And ultimately we look at this pit and dug it. That Greek word for sin, scandalizo, is that stumbling block. So you can think of it as a, a stone that would trip you as a pit that you would fall into. And we a lot of times talk about as pastors about soul destroying sins, sins that you've fallen out fallen into that you maybe don't want to get out of you maybe don't want you're comfortable in it you i don't want to follow god's word I'm, I'm happy where i'm at and ultimately when god's law says no you've fallen into this pit you need to get out of there otherwise you're going to die in that pit that's the same idea he's saying here too the wicked have dug a pit in their own sin they've planned this sin iniquity they've fallen into it and then ultimately that trouble as it says in verse 16 will return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down in his own crown. So this idea of, you think about Jesus you know, during the season of Lent that we're doing this psalm, you think about all those who are trying to trap Jesus, to get him to fall, to, not, just, not just the Pharisees and Sadducees, but think of Satan and his legion of armies. You know, a third of the angels of heaven, Revelation talks about, you know, if we're going to take that part literally and say, okay, all these angels are trying to get Jesus to fall from his purpose. And ultimately, when we sin, we're falling from our purpose, too, to honor and glorify God. And what a wonderful reminder here that even though the wicked fall into this pit, you know, if we're going to pull a gospel out of this negative section, Jesus never fell into any pit. He never fell into any wickedness. He never stumbled in any way, as we're reminded. But at all points, even though he's tempted in all ways, yet without sin, Hebrews reminds us. So I think that's a good parallel and trying to see some, some positive in this negative part of this psalm. When this, this idea of verse 15, he made a pit and dug it out, 
you know, the idea is he intended that for somebody else. But what happens? He has fallen into the ditch, which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head. And we've talked a little bit, you know, in the past about the idea of, you know, the the Asian oriental view of karma, what comes yeah. around goes around. And while that is not a biblical concept in the way that it's taught in the oriental religions, there is a biblical concept that says, if you do something bad, you should be prepared to pay the consequences for it. So a karma in that sense, not in the, you know, universal uh, type that the, that the orientals believed in, but that's what, that's what David is speaking about here, that he's trying to keep his slate clean. He's trying to do what he's supposed to do. But if you don't, you can expect that you're going to have other people that are going to treat you the same way that you treated them. You should just expect that that's going to come back to you in, in that sense. His trouble shall return upon his own head. And you'll find that throughout the Psalms. Uh, Solomon talks about it in Ecclesiastes. In the Proverbs, Solomon talks about it. Jesus speaks about it sort of in a similar way too. the blind leading the blind. Yep. A different picture, but a similar concept. Both will fall, both will fall yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, too, when it talks about that, I, I like that you pointed that out, that they're destructing this, constructing this for someone else, but it becomes their own destruction. So they're seeking harm on someone else, but it comes back on them and their own and their own disgrace, right? And their own dishonor, what they're trying to do against someone else. And I, I think you definitely see that true for Saul. I mean, he's hunting down David and he himself were being pursued by the Philistines. That's why he had to leave. We talked about that before. He had to leave the pursuit of David because he had to go defend the Philistines who's trying to conquer him, conquer his kingdom because they didn't want, because they wanted that trade route. They didn't want Saul empowered. You know, Saul was the first king. So why would they want this nation to grow and become stronger? So Saul also knew to a degree what it was like to be hunted down and it had traps set for him. And yet he was doing that very same thing to David also. One, one that comes to my mind, Neil, Neil, and this is, um, I think this is a fairly familiar one to most of our listeners, would be in the story of Esther. You remember Haman, who, oh, wanted, yeah. who wanted to get rid of Mordecai, just hated the guy because he wouldn't bow down to him. And what did he do to, to get rid of him? Do you remember? He, uh, built... he tried to, he tried to, well, Haman tried to get all the Jews killed. That right. would include Mordecai. Right. And then, and then he had built the, the gallows yeah. to have Mordecai hung on. Yes. Like, and what happens? Now I've got him. Now I've got him. And he gets hung on it himself. Yes. So talk you know, about, talk about this right here. Uh, falling into the ditch, which he made. Here's Haman. He builds the gallows for Mordecai and ends up being hung on the very gallows that he had prepared for somebody else. So I think that's a really good a real life example of what David is describing here. That's just, I mean, you can't get around that, the, the irony in, yeah. in that whole thing. Well, uh, scripture reading this past weekend reminded me of that. Also Daniel six, you have, um, yeah, another good Daniel example. and the lion's den. You have them say, Oh, Hey King, this is, uh, <laughs> sorry, Darius. King Darius, you know, set up that whoever's not going to do this, you know, this Daniel's going to pray into these other gods. He should be throwing the lion's den. And then Darius ends up throwing those who are accusing Daniel into the lion's den, uh, even though he had Daniel in there, but the Lord spared him too. So a similar kind of thought yeah, too. That's another good example. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Right, should we there's, take there's the one last verse there? Chorus, right? yeah. Verse 17. Go ahead. Uh, it's your turn. All right. Verse 17. 
I will praise the Lord, back to the Lord again, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Again, boy, what a nice summary verse to everything we've had so far in here. One of the qualities, we talked about the idea of Jehovah in here, Yahweh, the Lord. But the theme that has come out over and over again is the fact that David trusts in him and is asking for him to deliver him, bringing justice to him because God is righteous. He is just. So that theme has been found in here over and over again. I will praise the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord. So a nice, just a nice uh, concluding verse summarizing David's confidence in the Lord because of who the Lord is. It's the kind of God that we have. You know, it's, we can trust him. He's, he doesn't lie. He doesn't, it's the kind of God, who he is really reminds us why we can worship him, what he tells us about himself and his interactions. That's why the historical nature of the Bible is so important because his interaction with the people of this world, sinners like you and me, is so telling for his patience that he has with them and ultimately his patience and justice. You know, we use that word long suffering so often. I think that's an important word to consider here in this Psalm as well. David's praying for to be long suffering because once again, Saul and his men are after him. And so Lord, I'm trying to be patient here. I'm trying to realize what have I done wrong? And yet, you know, I think of Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that's definitely a theme for David's life as well, as he was being pursued by Saul for, for years. Well, I have a hymn thought for awesome. our, our closing. Usually when we get to the end of this, we think a little bit about uh, how we're going to close in connections to our hymnody, our Lutheran hymnody, and the things that we, the things that we sing on Sunday or maybe in our, our home devotions as well. And this hymn is based, uh, it comes from the cross and comfort section of the hymnal. It is based on Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, very, very familiar verse. Uh, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I think we can see connections to Romans 8 here in Psalm 7. Uh, so I'm, I'll close with two verses from hymn 529. I leave all things to God's direction. I leave all things to God's direction. He loveth me in weal and woe. His will is good, true his affection. With tender love his heart doth glow. My fortress and my rock is he. What pleaseth God, that pleaseth me. God knows what must be done to save me. His love for me will never cease. Upon his hands he did engrave me with purest gold of loving grace. His will supreme must ever be. What pleaseth God, that pleaseth me. Amen. Amen. You know, thanks again, once again, for the study. Always enjoy the opportunity to study the Psalms with you. And we pray that our listeners have benefited from a little bit of a different way of going through the Psalms, at least the way yeah. that we've recorded it today. What do we say we did that once before? I think we have done it once or twice before. Yeah. But uh, like I said, a little bit of a, a look behind the curtain as we study the, the scriptures. And as Neil mentioned earlier, hopefully this gives you a little bit of a, a way to reflect on how you study the scriptures too as we get together and do this. And what an enjoyable thing it is not just to do this alone, but to do this with a fellow Christian and to study God's word 
uh, it be encouraged and to encourage both at the same time as we reflect on different parts of the Psalms and the Lord uses our individual uh, gifts as we as we do that together too. So we're praying that the Lord would use our study of the Psalm to benefit you and bless you in your life as well. Looking forward to hearing your devotion on this one. I'm looking forward to writing one on Psalm 7. <laughs> May the Lord in his rich and abiding grace bless each of you through the study of his word and the confidence and the comfort that it offers to us in Christ the crucified. Until next time, the Lord be with you all. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you even to the end of the world.